And that's why a lot of people say, well, just leave you Bitcoins on an exchange. You've got someone to call. You've got customer support. It's unlikely that they get hacked, blah, blah, blah. And I agree with all that, except for the it's unlikely to get hacked. It's like a bridge that, you know, the day before a bridge falls down, it's probably a good bridge. And that's kind of the same with exchanges. You know, there are two kinds of exchanges. Those have been hacked and those that are yet to be hacked. This is Bitcoin Basics Podcast with your host, Ferris, that's me, and Gordon from Coin Compass. We're Bitcoin advisors and educators supporting business and individual investors to safely buy, manage, and control their private keys, Bitcoins. This podcast is strictly educational and is not intended to be financial or investment advice. Full disclaimer in the show notes and at the end of this episode. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, Ferris, that's moi, and Gordon. That's moi as well. So, Gordon, uh, this is part three of a series on wallets. Can you give everyone a recap of what the uh, previous two episodes were about? Sure. Well, I mean, it's been such a long time since the last episode. If you look at the clock on my wall, it's moved by 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Part one, we looked at what is a Bitcoin wallet, which is basically the ability to generate a private key. And from that private key, you get your public key Bitcoin address. And it also, probably most importantly, manages and stores securely those keys for you. In part two, we looked at custodial wallets. So they're wallets like an online wallet or a hot wallet, exchange wallets. And probably the best use case for them are for traders, and perhaps people with small amounts of money just want to play with Bitcoin, but not your keys, not your Bitcoin. If you leave your Bitcoin on an exchange, for example, and custodial wallets, you basically don't really own those keys. Someone else controls them. So today we're going to look at non-custodial wallets, which you may have guessed is the ability to control your own keys. But Faris, give us more details. What is a non-custodial wallet? So a non-custodial wallet, and again, we uh, want to debate the terminology here, is in essence um, a wallet where no one else has custody of your Bitcoins but yourself. So you are taking control of your Bitcoins. Um, When we say you're taking control of your Bitcoins, what we really mean is you're taking control of your private keys. Because Bitcoins never actually leave the blockchain. They're on the blockchain. Just where they are moved to and from is what's recorded. So the ability to control how and when you move your Bitcoins in a custodial wallet, you're leaving that with someone else. Non-custodial wallet, you're taking that control. So there are many different types. Well, it's actually not that many, sorry. There are different types of non-custodial wallets um, or cold storage solutions, mobile wallets. But in essence, if I want to send my Bitcoins um, so Gordon, I can do so from my own apparatus. I don't have to log into an exchange and do it from there. So that's the main difference. One is if I need to send my Bitcoin somewhere, am I logging in to an exchange that has my Bitcoins and then sending them across? Or can I do it directly from the phone in my pocket or a cold storage device? Now, is there anything I haven't covered there I need to, Gordon, because I know we can get into a lot more detail on that. No, that's it. He who, well, he or she who controls the Bitcoins owns the Bitcoins. That's basically the main point at the end of the day. So there are many different kinds of, well, actually, there's only two kinds. There's custodial and non-custodial, but there are many different types of wallets. So how about we go through what are the types of non-custodial wallets? 
So probably the most popular one people will be aware of is if you're familiar with a wallet, then you'd be thinking of an app on your phone. And this is where it generates an address that can receive Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies. And that's really handy to use. When you show people how to use it, it's, they're quite amazed at how quickly it happens. And this is the ability to send Bitcoins from anywhere in the world to anyone else and over your smartphone. So, and it takes, you know, 10 minutes to go through the blockchain. So these are the ones people are familiar with where you basically have Bitcoins on your mobile phone and that is on a wallet in your mobile phone. So with that, you do receive private keys, um, which you don't really have to know how to use, but you get a, a code to unlock every time you want to send receive Bitcoins, it's put, you put in a four or six digit code that you can memorize. So a pin essentially. Yeah, it's a really good, it's an important reminder that that pin isn't, and I think I said this on the last episode, to unlock your Bitcoin address. It's got nothing to do with your private key. It's just locking, it's like a lock on your house. It just um, gives you a bit of extra security. So if you've got a desktop wallet or a mobile wallet, you probably, for a computer at least, you're going to have a password to log into your computer. Same with your phone. You've got a pin number or you're going to, use face unlock or you're going to use um, some sort of biometrics like a fingerprint scan to unlock that wallet. But that's not the same as unlocking the Bitcoins or you're using your private key. So that's just a uh, distinction there. So we have mobile phone wallets. We have desktop wallets. Um, most of them are non-custodial, but some of them are actually custodial. So you need to check reviews. And we certainly have that in our newsletters. Um, apart from, and some people call them mobile wallets or soft wallets, software wallets. So apart from those kind of wallets, what other kind of wallets do we have? So they're the ones that you would use. So mobile wallets are the ones that you carry around small amounts of Bitcoin and just do think of it as the equivalent of a wallet in your back pocket as cash. You don't carry around that much. It is just a convenience of being able to send and receive Bitcoins. The, uh, Internet wallets or exchange wallets are usually used for traders. So one is very short term, you're trading Bitcoins. One's think of it as a medium term solution. Not many Bitcoins on there, but if you do want to access them while you're out and about, you can send them. Um, the other one would be cold storage devices or what you really want to refer to as kind of like your long term vaults for your Bitcoins. So if you're not interested in trading your Bitcoins, if you're not interested in sending and receiving bitcoins on a daily or weekly basis you just want to keep them for the long haul this is where you use what's a cold storage solution yeah so the equivalent would be what uh instead of uh having cash in your wallet you've got bars of gold in a bank vault somewhere or a vault or personal safe at your home exactly so what, when we say private keys or controlling your Bitcoins, we're referring to a series of letters and numbers. Those letters and numbers are what give you control to move around those Bitcoins. So so long as those series of letters and numbers are either on a mobile wallet, which is connected to the internet, or a um, custodial wallet, which is again connected to the internet, it can be hacked. Someone could find your phone, hack into it, someone can hack into an exchange. So those private keys are live. If you, you can withdraw your Bitcoins to a paper wallet, where basically you're just sending those numbers onto a piece of paper. 
Now, they're actually off the internet. They're still recorded in the blockchain, but you can't hack into a piece of paper. You can't hack into someone's memory. So that is a really hardcore form of um, cold storage where you're memorizing your private keys or you're writing them on a piece of paper. Uh, not very safe in my opinion because you know how much do you trust your memory and how much you trust a piece of paper. So there are a lot of other options. There's cold, um, oh, what are the ones called, Gordon, where it's basically imprinted on steel? Or yeah, metal? metal wallets. Metal wallets, thank you, yeah. So like think of dog tags in the military. Um, those numbers are imprinted on metal fire resistant, waterproof, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's cold storage devices like Trezor and Ledger, which are really handy. And um, cold card. And then, you know, uh, sorry? And cold card. Yeah, cold cards, yeah, as well. So there's, there's a lot of other options out there. Um, and we were talking about this before as well. You wouldn't put, if you had, you know, six figures worth of Bitcoin, you wouldn't put them all on one solution. We don't really think that's best practice. You'd want to look at diversifying potentially across a few different ones. But it also depends, like, you know, other things that we look at here at CoinCompass is helping you out with um, estate planning. So you might be someone who's exceptionally well computer-versed and know your InfoSec operational security protocols, but something happens to you or your next of kin, will they know how to retrieve your Bitcoin? Your lawyer know how to retrieve your device. There's actually a lot of planning involved for long-term storage and management of your Bitcoins. That sounds like an ad, Ferris. <laughs> I was trying not to make it too obvious, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you gave a lot of good information there and, and some things we really shouldn't gloss over. So when we're looking at non-custodial wallets, we look at desktop and mobile wallets, which I think most people would understand what that means. A desktop wallet is a software wallet used on your Mac or Linux or preferably not your Windows computer uh, and mobile phone, the same thing. The problem with those wallets is that they're connected to the internet, which I think you said. So they're online. So every time you're using your wallet, it's using your mobile phone. And, you know, you may uh, download a Bitcoin widget to check the price on your phone. But unfortunately, that Bitcoin widget had malware in it. In it and it's mm. going to steal all your Bitcoin. So that's actually happened in the past. Um, so we looked at also, you mentioned cold storage, and I think uh, we should go back through maybe a couple of um, more uses for cold storage and what the different wallets mean. So in my mind, we have online and offline wallets. So we've got, we mentioned the online wallets. Offline wallets, you mentioned a paper wallet. There's paper wallets, metal wallets, and brain wallets what are the difference between them and in my mind there's one key weakness to all of them and that is where do you put the private keys so with a paper wallet you're actually printing out the public key which is your bitcoin address but you're also printing out your private key so you're actually it's kind of like having your atm card and then having a sticky note with the pin number on it. So to me, that doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. Um, you might put that in a bank vault or a bank safe and say, well, you know, that's personal information, the bank's securing that for me. But if someone gets access to that paper wallet, they've got both, in effect, your ATM card and your pin. So um, what 
apart from, I guess, the disadvantages, what do you think the advantages are with offline wallets? Yeah, so with that, Gordon, I believe with paper wallets, memory wallets, um, I think there's a lot more disadvantages to them than advantages. The reason people do them is because they might feel a lot of comfort in the fact that, yep, my Bitcoins are completely offline, they can't get hacked. But what are the other threats and the other dangers, which I think are far more likely than getting hacked, is if you're relying on your memory, well, what happens if you memorize just one digit wrong? And that's it, your Bitcoins are gone. Well, what happens if, you know, for some unforeseeable reason, you um, suffer an accident and you can't mem mem memorize them? Just any kind of thing can go wrong. And a piece of paper, writing stuff down on paper, paper does not stand the test of time. You know, it can burn, it can rot, this ink can fade. There are just way too many things that can go wrong with that really in my opinion, paranoid way of approaching your Bitcoin, um, your Bitcoin security when there are better options like a cold card, a metal card, that makes a bit more sense, that can stand the test of time. But again, where are you going to keep that? Um, and you, you want to keep that safe because, and a key point you made earlier, Bitcoins are like cash or bearer bonds. If you're holding it, you own it. Someone finds that cold card, someone finds that piece of paper, bang, they own your Bitcoins. You can't prove otherwise. Mm, I think when it comes to using Bitcoin wallets, you're really your own worst enemy. Uh, you either forget where you put that piece of paper, you put it in your bookshelf, you actually moved house or you lent that book to a friend, you know, your Bitcoin's gone. Or some people say, well, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to divide my private key up into three. I'm going to keep one third. I'm going to give one third to my parents across town. I'm going to give one third to my friend. But then what happens if your friend loses one of the third? thirds of the pieces of your private key and yeah so that we try to outsmart ourselves and we try to be tricky with all these solutions but we're actually our own worst enemy at the end of the day so yep. i think a lot of these solutions do a lot more harm than good and that's why a lot of people say we'll just leave you bitcoins on an exchange you got someone to call you got customer support it's unlikely that they get hacked blah 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 and i agree with all that except for the it's unlikely to get hacked it's like a bridge that you know, the day before a bridge falls down, it's probably a good bridge. And that's kind of the same with exchanges. You know, there are two kinds of exchanges. Yeah. Those have been hacked and those that are yet to be hacked. So um, this is one of the issues. And there really isn't a one size fits all solution. And we're sounding a bit negative here, but I think it's good to discuss. We'll have a look at the best practices, perhaps which wallets should um, suit your needs in the next podcast. So we've had a look at offline wallets. So we're looking at paper wallets, metal wallets, and they're wallets that you actually write down the private key. And the problem with that is if someone gets the private key, you're stuffed, or if you forget the mm -hmm. private key. If we look at something perhaps in the middle, uh, a lot of people like hardware wallets because they're sort of a mix between having enough security, but they're also a lot more convenient between offline wallets and exchange wallets. So do you want to go through uh, what a hardware wallet is and why perhaps that's maybe a better solution? Yeah, so we do at CoinCompass like um, hardware wallets as a solution um, at time of recording. Uh, reason being is because they're, it, they're easy to get your Bitcoins onto. Um, you can, in essence, they're not completely off 
grid, but you can get them. So they're not always connected to the grid. So when I say that, it's like with a mobile wallet, one that's on your phone, or a hot wallet on an exchange, they're always connected to the internet, and they are a honeypot for hackers. With a cold storage device, you plug it into your computer, you send your Bitcoins to it, and then you take it out. From then, you can put it in a safe, you can hide it in your house somewhere. Uh, if you happen to lose it, well, then you also would have what's called recovery seats. So if you lose that device, you haven't lost your Bitcoins. You can buy a new device, use your recovery seats, which you'll keep somewhere else, and bring those Bitcoins back to life. So they're a really good solution right now. Um, yeah, and that they are you know, probably, I'd say they're our favorite solution right now, aren't they? Well, I'll actually going to play devil's advocate and say that you still have the same problem. So if you've got a paper wallet, you've, you've got your private key and your public key written down a piece of paper. If someone gets it, you're gone. With a hardware wallet, you've got the same problem. So you may have this device that is actually a lot more secure than a desktop or software wallet. And the reason why it's secure is it's, it's hardware and it's got a special chip inside of it called a secure element. And that is what actually generates and stores the private keys for you. So you may have a malware infested Windows 7 computer that's got viruses and all kinds of stuff. You plug in your hardware wallet and all it's using your computer for is internet and power essentially. So it doesn't matter that your computer's got malware or infected. There's actually nothing in theory that can touch it. But you still have the same problem. You've got to back up your private keys. And we may be going down a rabbit hole and have to edit this out. But one of the key inventions, and I use the word key, is something called an HD wallet, which gives you that backup or seed phrase or mnemonic phrase of either 12 or 24 words. And that's actually been a recent invention. So in let's say you've got a wallet that's got 10 Bitcoin addresses. Well, that means you've got 10 private keys. A, a hardware wallet and some software wallets and mobile wallets have this thing called, high, uh, called HD, which stands for hierarchical deterministic. All that really means is that it is a master key. So that master key unlocks sort of all your Bitcoin addresses, your private keys, but you don't need to sort of worry about them individually. And the cool thing about this, these HD wallets, which every single hardware wallet nowadays are, is that you are given 12 or 24 words as what is called a backup seed or a mnemonic seed. But you've got the same problem with hardware wallets. You have to then keep secure, unlike a um, paper wallet, you've got your private key written down. You sort of still got the same problem with a hardware wallet. You've still got these 24 words to secure. So how is that different to a paper wallet? Sorry, it's me and my microphone. I'm out in the uh, cabin today and it's just very windy. I um, don't know if you guys can hear that. Uh, so yeah, with that one, I see your point, but to me, what I like more about it is the two layers of security. The hardware wallet, as you mentioned, is safe to get your Bitcoins onto. If you lose that, there's a backup plan. And the backup plan is those recovery seats. So yes, you gotta memorize those, but that's a lot easier to memorize than the entire private key itself. 
And with that, if someone finds those backup seeds, they're random words. They're not going to know what they are. They're random. They don't know. First of all, they're very unlikely to know, to realize that they found something that belongs to a hardware wallet relating to Bitcoin. So if someone finds that, it's like, okay, hey, they'd have to buy, uh, they'd have to know what device it belongs to. So to me, it is a, it is the simplest and safest solution out there for people from anywhere from low level um, tech confidence to high level tech confidence. So that, that's why I like them because easy to explain, easy to keep safe the wallet itself, the cold storage device itself, but also someone knows how to keep the list safe. So, and that's something else that we do show people how to do. You can keep, keep those lists safe somewhere. We don't want to give away too many trade secrets here, but there is a way of keeping those private keys encrypted and secure. Yeah, I look, I agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate for the sake of the podcast, but there yeah, really just, is just no for difference. the record. Sorry, and for the yeah. record, in about 20 podcasts now, I don't think Gordon's actually ever agreed with me without playing devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be a boring podcast, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> So I, I don't actually see a difference between storing those 24 words. Now you can say, well, someone doesn't know what they are, but you could have a private key from a paper wallet and not have fancy Bitcoin graphics or whatever, just have that long string of numbers written down or printed out. There's actually no difference between having that and having 24 words. So keeping those safe to me is exactly the same, whether you put it in your bookshelf, whether you put it in a bank vault. So with a hardware wallet, you actually have the exact same problem as you are having. T the hardware wallet is great, but you still have to store your private keys, your backup, your mnemonic seed somewhere, and you've, then you've got the same problem as a paper wallet if someone gets their hands on it. Yeah, so I think as well, like what I like about the hardware wallets is a convenience factor as well. So if you show someone how to get their Bitcoins onto a piece of paper and they then want to sell them, that's going to be much harder for them to get them off of a paper wallet onto an exchange to sell them than with a ledger or nano device where it's, they can basically now do it directly from the, the device. So I'm thinking for someone who is relatively new to Bitcoin, um, that convenience and security, I think that is the best option currently. Yeah, the, the main advantage from a security point of view, they're exactly the same. Backing up 24 words versus backing up a private key is exactly the same, right on paper, print out. But the convenience, as you said, is astronomically better with a hardware wallet because um, you can plug into your computer and you can get um, going straight away. So I think a lot of hardcore. OGs in the Bitcoin space use brain wallets, paper wallets, and metal wallets and all other kinds of offline um, devices and manual methods that haven't even been connected to the internet first because the blockchain doesn't care whether a Bitcoin address has a balance or not or whether it's a new address or an old address. So you could actually generate a private key completely offline and you could send money to it without even connecting that to a node or connecting to the Bitcoin um, blockchain. So you could actually have sort of money in, in this limbo state of not being on the blockchain, but not being you know, on a hardware device or something like that. So it does get a little bit uh, complicated when we deal with these low tech 
physical solutions. Um, but I think for the average person, yeah, hardware wallet is a definitely a good compromise. But still, you're still having to back up and secure your private key, your 24 words or your 12 word uh, passwords. Yeah, I think that would be the same issue you have with any asset class, be it gold, bear bonds, cash. You're still going to have to store them somewhere and have a kind of safety protocol in place. So yeah, if you're going to be careful with any asset class, it's the same thing. So stay tuned to our next episode where I will tell you about how you can make your Bitcoin secure, more secure than a hardware wallet, more secure than any strategy that we've talked about so far. And you don't even need to have backed up a private key or a 24-word seed phrase. So you can actually have the most secure solution without actually needing to back up any of that. Cool. Thanks, Gordon. Thank you for playing devil's advocate again. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, last but not least, I think, again, I, I know I beat a dead horse about privacy or whatnot, but just, just bear in mind that every time you use a wallet, that wallet provider, the company behind it, or even the developer behind it can see basically every single thing you're doing. So whether you're using a desktop wallet, a mobile wallet, or even a hardware wallet, every time you are checking the price, every time you are logging in, every time you're sending or receiving Bitcoin, they are at the very least tracking your IP address, and other information. Now, they might not use that information, but they certainly do have it. So just be aware that, you know, you plug in your Trezor to your computer, you think that is obviously quite secure, which it is, but from a privacy point of view, all that information, all your data is going through Ledger or Trezor or whoever you're using, it's going through their servers. So you actually are compromising your privacy um, that's out of scope for this podcast, but uh, just keep that in mind whenever you're using a Bitcoin wallet, you are actually divulging quite a bit of information. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't picked it up by now, this is something Gordon takes very seriously. Um, he, I said my full name in one podcast and he beeped it out. So you'll thank me in about five years' time. <laughs> Oh, this coronavirus, don't know if we'll be around by then. Uh, the real virus is yet to come. Bitcoin will be there. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking and following helps this content remain ad free. Until next time.